0: Well, let me get this out of the way. It really didn't take me 22 years to graduate from college. I, uh, I never dreamed, never dreamed when I went to, to uh, school in Knoxville, Tennessee, that God would keep me there so long. And uh, it was a privilege and great joy to serve the Lord there and uh, serve the church, the college for almost two decades. Uh, my daughter's back there studying now, and uh, I know Lauren from your church is there and numbers of other young people. I was just there preaching the other day, and God is blessing Uh, But about five years ago, God uprooted us, Uh, not in a bad way. He just started working in my heart about leaving there by faith and trying to help as many churches and pastors as possible. And so we stepped out into evangelistic work, and it has been the adventure of a lifetime. Uh, God has been so gracious to us. And one of the great joys of my life, week after week, is to be in places like this just to preach the Bible and to try to be a help and be an encouragement. And I want you to know you've been a great encouragement to me already. We've had a great time in the Word of God. I hail from the great state of West Virginia. How many of you have ever been to West Virginia? Oh, that's good. Uh, How many of you are from West Virginia? Anybody? Hallelujah. I knew you had a good spirit about you. It's wonderful. How many of you knew West Virginia was a state? Would you raise your hand, please? That's good. Wonderful. And uh, it was snow on the ground when I flew out of there yesterday. So I'm very happy to be here, let me tell you that. Uh, my wife is not so happy she's not with me this trip. But uh, I'm, I'm enjoying my time with your church family and excited about what God has for all of us. Well, how many of you were in the meeting last night and, uh, or in the meeting this morning? Would you raise your hand, please? You've been here in the first meeting. It's good. Well, then on the count of three, I want you to tell everybody else what part of the Bible we're in. Ready? One, two, three. Very good. So let's open our Bibles together The Psalm 51. It is an amazing portion of Scripture. And uh, I know many days ago when I started praying for your church and toward this meeting that God led me to Psalm 51. And I know this is where God wants us to be. And God helping me, I'm going to be back in it this evening, back in it tomorrow evening. And so I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to be here. That's a good place to start. Amen. I want to ask you to try to... Bring your Bible with you. Stay with me because it all works together, line upon line, precept upon precept. Try not to miss any portion of it, and we'll give God the opportunity to speak to our hearts. I challenged the folks last night to read Psalm 51 on their own. How many of you have done that already? Would you raise your hand? Oh, that's good. This is a class of overachievers. That's very good. And uh, I want to challenge you this morning to do the same. It's only uh, 19 verses long, and so I want you to read Psalm 51. Now, listen, not while I'm preaching, on your own time, all right? We're going to read a portion of it together in a moment. Uh, But on your own time, try to read Psalm 51, and I think you'll find that God will use it in your life. He's using it in my life. It begins this way in verse 1, have mercy upon me, O God. How many of you know that's a good place for all of us to start? I need God's mercy today. And you need God's mercy today. Do you ever wonder, honestly, you ever wonder why the psalmist David talks so much about mercy? I'm reading and studying myself through the psalms right now. And when you go through the psalms of David, it is like one of his favorite things to talk about is the mercy of God. Can I tell you why I like to talk about it so much? Because he had experienced so much of it. And when you have to have mercy, you want to talk about mercy. When you know God's been good to you and you didn't get what you deserved and you get what you don't deserve, I want you to know it's overwhelming. Have mercy upon me, O God. Now, come down with me in the psalm, would you please? Let's pick up where we left off earlier today in verse 5. Behold, look, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Stop and look at me just a moment. You didn't start being a sinner. You were always a sinner. You see, you sinned for sure. How many of you have sinned in the last 24 hours? Good. Everybody didn't raise their hand, just sinned, all right? So we've all sinned. But that's not where you began being a sinner. You've always been a sinner because we were born that way. People say, I was born this way. That's true. We're all born sinners. We're all born with a sin nature. And so uh, David is acknowledging this. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity. It's not saying my mother sinned when she had me. He's saying I was born with a sin nature. We all have it. Look at verse 10. Excuse me, verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He says... What God already knows to be true about me, I've got to come to. I've got to get personal with God. I've got to get real with the Lord. Look at me, please. Let's get down to business with God this morning, shall we? Let's remove the facade. Let's stop playing church. Let's stop going through the motions. Let's come face-to-face with God and face-to-face with our own great need for the mercy of God. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how long you've been in church or how much Bible you know. I don't care if you can quote the whole thing. The reality is every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is in need of a Savior. Every one of us. It's interesting to me that David basically goes back to nothing but his naked soul. And may I say his naked sin, open to the eyes of a holy God. And do you remember when sin began in Genesis? Do you remember what Adam and Eve did? And they tried to sew little fig leaf aprons together like that was going to keep God from seeing them. And they tried to hide behind a tree as if the God who made that tree didn't know where they were hiding. And do you remember, what did they say? They said, our eyes were open, we realized we were naked and we were ashamed. It's interesting, but sin is always connected to shame and it is always, always, always connected to being naked before the eyes of the God who knows everything there is to know about us. And so we come to verse 7, where he prays and says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Would you read verse 10 aloud with me, church? Ready? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now, the whole psalm is a prayer. The whole psalm is a prayer. It's a prayer you can make your own. But did you notice how the very first verse we read and the last verse we read are connected? Look at verse 1. Have mercy upon me. What does he say? Notice it, please. He does not just say God. He says what? Oh, God. Come to verse number 10. Bookends on this section. Creating me a clean heart. What does it say, church? Oh, God. What does the word oh mean? Oh is more of a groan than it is a word. It defies definition. Oh is what you say when you don't know what to say. Oh is what you say when you're so overcome you can't put it in words. Oh God. This is not just any prayer. No, no. This, friends. This is the prayer God answers. How many of you'd like to pray a prayer God will answer? Now we've all prayed lots of prayers, we agreed? And maybe some of you felt like you got an answer and some of you are still waiting on an answer and some of you are not sure if you got the answer. But I'm going to tell you the prayer that I can guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God, God will answer. In fact, this prayer, the prayer of Psalm 51, is where all true prayer begins. It It is the reason many other prayers never get answered because we don't really learn to pray this prayer first. The number one reason people don't get their prayers answered is that they just don't pray. That's deep, isn't it? God says you have not because you what? So the number one prayer you don't get answers. Number one reason you don't get answers to prayer is because we just don't pray. Imagine what's going to be like when we get to heaven someday and God shows us all the answers to prayer He had to give us, but we never ask for them. That's going to be pretty bad, isn't it? Well, the number two reason we don't get answers to prayer in the Book of James, chapter four and verse number three, it says, "You ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss." That ye may consume it upon your lust. One of the great reasons we don't get answers to prayer is because we pray so stinking selfish. You know, in reality, all sin is selfishness at its root. We just want what we want. And so we use God like a slot machine, excuse me. We use God like our handyman, Mr. Fix It, 911. And when I really need something, then I'm going to call out to God, and God's supposed to just give me whatever I want. But listen to me God says prayer is not so you can consume something on your lust. Prayer is so you cannot get something from God. It is so you can get to God. And I want to suggest to you today that the prayer God answers is not the prayer of the consumer. It's the prayer of the confessor. We live in a consumer crazy society. Everybody is a consumer today. People even shop for churches that way, you know. What's in it for me? I don't know if I really like that. I I want whatever. Wait a minute. When you come to God, you don't come to God as a consumer, what you can consume from God. You come to God agreeing with God and confessing the truth about God back to God, confessing the truth of yourself back to God. This is the prayer that God will answer. And for the record, when I finish preaching in just a few minutes, I'm going to ask every person in this room to join me in one of two prayers. And if you say, well, I'm not doing that, then you've already made your decision. And you made the wrong one. I'm going to invite every person in this room that is breathing to join me in one of two prayers because I believe something. I believe Psalm 51 was not just for David or not just for certain types of sinners. I think Psalm 51 is for every last one of us. But here's what God has to do. God's got to touch our heart. You see, that's what the word O is. It's a heart word. It's not a mind word. One of the greatest revivals in the history of the world was the great Welsh revival. I have read and studied through the years the stories of what God did in the island of Wales. It was my privilege a number of years ago to visit Wales and to be in some of the places where there was a great moving and stirring of the Holy Spirit of God. The amazing thing was when revival came to Wales, it didn't just touch Wales. It touched the world. Hundreds of thousands of people were saved. It's fascinating to study about the great Welsh Revival. But I was reading some time back and I discovered something I'd never read and never heard before. It was the testimony of a first hand witness of the Welsh Revival. A man who was literally living in Wales when God began to move and stir in the churches. In this particular testimony this particular witness that was given the man said this he said one of the marks that revival was coming to a church and this was his expression this was the way he said it was he said when the oh returned to the prayers revival was on the way what did he mean by that you know we pray nice prayers don't we very professional and very mechanical we go through our emotions and we recite our words and we call out a few names and we say all the right things. We begin it the right way and we end it the right way and yet there seems to be so little power, so little moving and stirring of God. When was the last time you really saw God do something out of the ordinary in your life? When was the last time you saw such an answer to prayer that God alone could do it? It couldn't be explained any other way. It just had to be the Lord. Why are our prayers so Weak and anemic and mediocre and nominal and run-of-the-mill. I pray tell me, do we get so few answers to prayer? Could it be that the old has disappeared from our prayers? Could it be that we pray to be heard by men more than to be heard at the throne of God? Could it be that we're giving religious speeches instead of really talking to the creator God of the universe? Could it be that we are more concerned with making ourselves look good to God or to others than we are bearing our sinful souls to the God who already knows the truth. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, Lord, my sin. Oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Lord, do what only you can do. This is the prayer God will answer me show it to you quickly. Number one, would you write this down somewhere in the margin of your Bible? I want you to write down that the prayer God answers is a prayer of confession. (laughs) What does that mean? If I say you're going to confess something, it literally means you're going to agree to it. You're going to admit it. You're going to acknowledge it. I must tell you that for years I did not understand this. I really didn't understand what the word confess meant. As a matter of fact, there's a famous verse in the New Testament, 1 John 1, verse number 9, that goes something like this. If we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness how many of you know that verse good verse your pastor and I were in college together we took a class on Greek you remember that now your pastor was a good student he was a really good student as a matter of fact he not only studied it he ended up teaching it I took it but it didn't take on me I want you to know that We took a class on Greek and studying the Greek New Testament and all that kind of thing. It was fascinating. The greatest thing I learned from that particular course was the word confess. First year we had to translate. We all had to pick a Bible word and study it, so I picked confess because I thought that's an easy one. I already know what that means. But I didn't. And I started studying the little word confess, and I discovered something. I discovered that the word confess did not at all mean what I thought it meant. You see, for years, I'd even heard preachers preach it this way. If you'll get real sorry for your sin and plead and cry and beg God, oh, Lord, forgive me, then God will forgive you. It's almost like you're trying to coerce God to come around to your way of thinking, trying to convince God to, to, to make you right with him. I started studying the word confess, and I found out that's not what it means. The word confess is a very simple little word. It simply means this. you ready for this? To say the same thing. It means that you say the same thing about yourself God says about you. And you say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. And don't you know that's what we don't want to do? David probably didn't want to use the word adultery. He just wanted to say, well, you know, I had this little fling. I had this affair. I had this whatever. Oh, wait a minute. That he probably didn't want to use the word murder. I murdered that man. That's God's word for it. I killed him. No, he said, you know, I kind of arranged for some things so that the guy didn't make it through the battle. No, there's no excusing our sin. Let me tell you, when God breaks through and prayer gets answered and our heart gets thoroughly right with God, it is when we stop calling it what we want to call it and what everybody else wants to call it and we start calling our sin exactly what God calls it. And that's what David had to do. And so, look at the verse, please. That's why in verse 6 it says, Behold, thou desirest truth. Would you mark the word truth? Listen to me. Our God is the God of truth, and it's dangerous to lie to him. And David says, I know what you want, Lord. You want me to tell the truth. In fact, God wants the truth, the whole truth, and what, church? That's right. Nothing more and nothing less. God wants you to look at him and say, God, you are right, and I am wrong. Thou desirest truth. Look at the verse. In the where? Look at verse number 6. In the where? In the inward part. And then he, he reiterates it. And in the what? In the hidden part. Look, we're pretty good at ordering our outer world where everybody says, that's a good Christian man. That's a good Christian family. That's a nice couple. That's a good church. But listen to me. God's not looking at the outer part. Anybody can do that. God is looking beneath the surface at the inner man, at the hidden part. I'll tell you, the great sin of good church-going Christians in America. They're secret sins, the sins nobody knows about. And by the way, isn't it easy to spot everybody else's sin? Honestly, I can spot your sin a 100 yards and tell you all about it. It's easy. The sin I'm often blinded to is the sin of my own heart. There are different kinds of sin. They're all against God. There are sins of the flesh, but did you know there are also sins of the Spirit? Sometimes they're the most deceptive. They're the cancer of the soul. For example, I could stand up here today and I could preach on those who are killing innocent babies in the mother's womb and everybody would say, that's terrible, that's awful. May God judge them. That's sin. But Let me ask you a question. What about your bitterness, your jealousy, your anger? What about not only the things that you've done or somebody else has done, what about the things we've left undone? Somebody said, you going to tell us what those are." And I don't have to because the Holy Ghost is doing that right now. A few weeks ago, I was preaching a revival meeting, and I was driving back and forth from home. It was about an hour and a half from our home. I got there on Wednesday night, and it was the last night of the meeting. And I walked in as a large church place was packed. There was one woman standing in the lobby of the church waiting on me. One woman. She's an elderly lady. She had a little brown bag in her hand, and she said. Preacher, I made you some banana nut bread today. I thought, this is going to be a good meeting tonight. There's no doubt about it. Then she started crying. She said, you don't know me, and you don't know this about me. She said, but last night in the middle of the meeting, she said, God convicted me of something. I didn't ask her what it was. But she volunteered it. She said, 20 years ago, my sister and I had a falling out. We got mad at each other. and We said some things we shouldn't have said. She said, for the last 20 years, we haven't spoken to one another. She said to me, I thought I'm a good Christian. I'm a faithful church member. She said, last night I went home and tried to read my Bible and couldn't read my Bible. She said, I tried to pray and couldn't pray. My sister's face kept coming to my mind. She said, I tried to lay down and go to sleep and rest, and she said, I couldn't even sleep well last night. And she said, earlier this morning I got up and I thought, you know, this is ridiculous. I'm not living like this anymore. She said, I picked up the phone and called my sister and She had been weeping through this conversation, and then she started laughing. She said, you know, preacher, the most amazing thing? She said, I called my sister earlier this morning, and what I didn't know was God was already working in her heart on the other end before I ever even called. And she said on the phone this morning, we got right with God, and we both got right with each other. And she said, it's just been the most wonderful day all day today. You know what that is? That's revival. When people start getting right with God and right with one another, when they confess their sin and call it what it is, God meets you at the place of truth. Look at verse 6 again. Look at the end of the verse. He says, God desires truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Oh, I love this. I love this. See, everybody wants to live in the last part of this verse. They just don't want to apply the first part of this verse. How many of you want God's wisdom for your life? Would you raise your hand? You need direction? You got decisions? There are crossroads in life. There are things you got to work through. Watch this, please. When you speak truth, God will speak wisdom. When you say to God what is right, God will show you what is next. Do you know where every person in this room is stuck? Every one of us is stuck at the last place we refuse to stay right with God. The last thing we excused. Brushed to the side, said, you know, we'll leave that alone. One of the good men of this church asked me during the break between Sunday school and church, he said, how do you reckon David lived all those years before or months before Nathan showed up and didn't think anything about it and wasn't even surprised when Nathan showed up and didn't even expect Nathan to call him out? Why do you think that was? It's a great question. For the same reason we do it. We compartmentalize our life and we brush things to the side and push things to the back of our mind. And we think, well, you know, that's been a while. Uh, I'm beyond that now. Listen to me, please. God never lets you get by with sin. And the sooner we confess that, the better off we're all going to be. What was David's sin? If I ask you, what was David's greatest sin? Somebody in this room would say adultery, Bathsheba. And somebody else would say the murder of Uriah. Somebody else would say, lying to everybody around him. How many of you would say all of it's sin? It's all sin against the holy God. You know the funny thing? The sins that most people hate are the ones who've touched them. When things get where they've affected your family and your life, those sins become even more awful to you. So we start seeing sin through this prism. But can I tell you what David's greatest sin is? Oh, I'm convicted. Standing here in front of you as the preacher. Do you know what David's greatest sin was? It's a sin I'm guilty of. It's pride. See, because the root of all sin is pride. It was was proud presumption that said, I can take that woman and it'll have no consequences. I can kill that man and God won't mind. I can lie to everybody and keep living in the truth. That, my friends, is the essence, the epitome of pride itself. And I want to say to you, God begins to do his great work when we come to the end of us. And when we say, Lord, you're right, and we acknowledge our need and we humble ourselves before a holy God. Number one, the prayer God answers is a prayer of confession. Number two, would you write this down? The prayer that God answers is a prayer for cleansing. Sin is described many ways in Psalm 51, many different ways. But it is described one way repeatedly. (laughs) Did you notice, as we read through the first 10 verses, how often there is a reference to sin as being dirty? Be honest, have you ever done something you just knew wasn't right and after you did it you felt dirty about it? Yes, you ever felt dirty? Your conscience was defiled. Something something got soiled in you. Well, look, notice please, all sin makes you filthy before a holy God. Uh, l- follow me just a second. Go back to verse number 1. What's at the end of verse number 1? In the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. How about verse 2? Wash me. Verse 2, cleanse me. I come to verse 7, purge me. Verse 7 again, I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Look at verse 9, blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, created me a clean heart. Let me tell you what sin is. Sin is filthiness before a God that is always clean and pure. Do you know what the angels at this moment are singing in heaven? I know what they're singing. It's in the Bible. They're singing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty which was and is and is to come. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit. He always has been holy, he is holy, and he always will be holy. And let me tell you what we've got to do. We've got to come to the presence of a holy God and confess that we are unholy people. And our great need is, Lord, I need to be clean. By the way, by the way, right now while I'm speaking and the Holy Spirit is speaking, the devil's talking to him. Yes, he is. Because every time God's at work, so is the enemy. Everything God ordains, Satan opposes. And I want you to know the accuser of the brethren, he loves to whisper to people. And at this moment, he's saying to somebody in this room, yeah, well, what you've done can't be made clean. And you've gone too far and you're too filthy. That can never be made right. I want you to know that's a lie from the pit of hell. And the God of truth says you can be made clean again. First, we must begin by saying, Lord, I'm dirty. I'm dirty. Is your thought life dirty? How about your motives? See, God judges everything. By the way, let me just pause, parenthesis, all right? I'm not preaching. I'm testifying. Did you know when you preach a passage like this, God works you over? Look, I'm preaching to me. I'm just letting you listen. I mean, when you walk through a passage like this, I can't talk to you about your sin. I've got to deal with my sin. And this week as I've meditated and prayed and studied and looked at this portion of Scripture, it's like the Holy Spirit just keeps showing me stuff and showing me stuff and showing me stuff, showing me me and showing me my need and showing me my sin. Dear Lord, I know my heart in so many ways, unworthy, undone, unclean. Oh, God, I need you. Have mercy upon me, O oh Lord. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you confessed not just your badness to God, but your goodness to God? So what do you mean, preacher? Do you know in Scripture that it is not just your badness that is filthy, but your goodness is filthy too? Some of us who have tried to live moral, clean, upright lives, we can get pretty proud of how good we've been. And we start thinking of ourselves as somehow above Maybe that's why we haven't had revival. Maybe, maybe we're so full of us we can't be full of God. Did you know Proverbs says that even the plowing of the wicked is sin? Plowing. I grew up in a farming country. My grandpa was a farmer. Plowing's good. Plowing's how you get the food. Plowing is hard work. Plowing takes character. But listen to the verse. The Bible says in Proverbs 21, verse 4, the plowing of the wicked is sin. Watch this, please. Even the good you do when your heart is not where it ought to be with God is sin before God. Hold on to your seats going through the work of helping around the church when your heart isn't where it ought to be with God. You know what that is? That's sin. Because the Bible says, Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So I want to ask you a personal question this morning. Don't answer out loud. It's between you and God, not you and me. But are you thoroughly right with God at this moment? Is there anything between you and the Lord? Is there anything that's there that shouldn't be there or anything that's missing that should be there? Then you need to confess that to God and say, Dear Lord, make me clean. What does Isaiah say? Isaiah said that all of our righteousnesses, plural, our goodness, are like filthy rags to God, literally like leprous rags. Excuse me, but the oozing sores of the leper were wrapped in these bandages until so much pus had been saturated in them, they would take those rags off and throw them away. Nobody wanted those rags. And God says, when I look at the best you have to offer apart from Jesus, that's all I see. Dear Lord, we are unclean people. How many of you are glad God doesn't leave us there? Hallelujah. Watch this, please. I may be unclean, but he can make me clean. And so we come to verse number 7. Look at it. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. I shall be. Look, if David can be clean, you can be clean, friend. Did you know there are three different pictures of how God cleans in this verse? Look at the verse. and the wording that David uses, there's three different object lessons. I love the way the Lord shows us these things. First of all, he says, purge me with hyssop. That's the cleansing of the leper. When a leper got clean, when he was healed of his leprosy, he would go to the priest And the priest would pronounce him clean. The leprosy's all gone out of your body. Guess what they would do? They would sprinkle him with hyssop. They would take some hyssop and they would sprinkle that old leper. And look, it it was symbolic of the cleansing that God had given him. Look at the verse again. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. What's he saying? He's saying, Lord, I've got the leprosy of sin in me, but I believe you're able to make me clean again. By the way, you know what our hyssop is? It's not hyssop, it's the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us, goes on cleansing us again and again from all sin. Praise God, you can be clean again. There's a second picture, look at the verse. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be white. No, this is the cleansing of what was called a fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R, a person who was a fuller was someone who dyed garments. He would, he would take a garment, and he could take a garment that was even a dark-colored garment, dark threads, but he could, he could dip it in a certain dye, bleach it out in such a way that it was turned white again. That's the word that's used here for washing. He says, Lord, take this old filthy garment of mine. It's soiled with sin. It's nasty and gross, and nobody wants to be around this. But, dear Lord, if you'll make it clean, I believe it can be white again sounds a lot like Isaiah chapter 1, verse number 18. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be what? White as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Only God can do that in your life. By the way, look at the verse. I was meditating on this on my way to the airport yesterday. Whiter than snow. He does not say white as snow. Look at it. He says what? How many of you have lived in... Snow belt areas, would you raise your hand, please? Yeah. God bless all of you. Aren't you glad to be here today? All you snowbirds, God bless you. I told my wife the other day, I think I'm going to be a snowbird, you know. We live 3,200 feet above sea level in our town. There's a ski resort just outside our city. We get a lot of snow. And, you know, when the snow first falls, isn't it beautiful? It really is beautiful. I mean, I love Sit by a fireplace and look out the window and see a blanket of white snow. It's gorgeous. But give it two days. And suddenly, those piles of snow, they're not white anymore. They're gray and they're brown. Watch, please. The funny thing about snow is it may come down white, but it never stays white. But look at the verse, please. When God makes you clean, praise God for this. He doesn't just make you white as snow. He makes you whiter than snow. How's that true? Look, please. When God makes you clean, he keeps you clean. This is not some temporary thing. Oh, no, the Lord begins changing you. Only the Lord can do that. Let's do something. Hold your place. Everybody hold your place. Don't lose your place. We're coming right back. Turn back in your Bible to Job chapter 9 just a second. I've got to show you this. It's the oldest book in the Bible. Job cried out from the very beginning. He was so desperate and so taken with his sin. Look at Job chapter 9 verse 30. He said, If I wash myself with snow water, sound familiar? And make my hands never so clean. Yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. Sounds a lot like all of our righteousness is filthy rags, doesn't it? He said, even the snow water is not good enough for me. And then read on, look at verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Job said, I feel so dirty and I want to be clean and I can't get clean. I tell you, I just wish God was a man so I could talk to him. I just wish God would come to where I am and make a way For me to come to God, I'm glad to report to you this morning that the cry of Job was answered in Jesus Christ. God became a man without ever ceasing to be God. And when we could never get to him, praise his name, he came to us. And on the cross, Jesus took a holy God in one hand, an unholy humanity in the other, and made a way for both to come together. And you can be clean again. Go back to Psalm 51. There's a third picture of being clean There's not only the cleansing of the leper and the cleansing of the fuller, but then there's the cleansing of the ledger. Some of you are finance people. You'll understand exactly what I'm referring to here. There's a list of debts. After a while, the debts are so high, you think, heaven, help us. We can't pay this. That's what your sin was. There's a debt of sin. Look at verse number 9. He says, hide thy face from my sins and, mark this phrase, blot out. He said it in verse 1, blot out my transgressions. In verse 9, blot out all my iniquities. Did you know that the word blot out here was a word that was used for accounting? It was an accounting term, literally. Well, Lord, would you take those debts and just cancel all the debt? Would you just blot that out of your book? I'm rejoicing today. The blood of Jesus is God's whiteout. All of my debt was on my account, but there was a day. Praise God for the day. Jesus took all my sins in his own body on the tree. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Watch. He took our sins so we could take his salvation. He, he took our darkness so we could take his light. He took our hell so we could take his heaven. Bless the name of Jesus who made a way that we can be clean again. Do You see him on the cross. It's midnight in the middle of the afternoon as God the Father turns his back on his son and a cry pierces the darkness. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? On this side of the cross, we know the answer to that question. God the Father forsook his son so that you would never have to be forsaken. Listen to me. He died so you could live forever. And what was the last word uttered by Christ from the cross? In his language, it was one word. It was the word tetelestai. In our language, it is what? Finished. And I used to read that and think, well, the work was done. That's not the word he used. He used a merchant term. He used a term that everybody at the foot of the cross would have understood. When you went into a store and you paid off your debt, they would take a stamp and they would stamp on your debt tetelestai, literally, Paid in full. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid your sin debt in full and he made a way so your ledger could be clean again. Instead of living in debt, I like this. I get to live on Jesus' credit. How many of you know Jesus has real good credit? And I want you to know it's wonderful when you realize you can be clean. There's a third truth and I'm done. Number one, the prayer God answers. It's a prayer of confession. Number two, it's a prayer of cleansing. But number three, don't miss this. It's a prayer to the Creator. When we think of creation, we think we went all the way back to Genesis 1. But notice how the Creator steps into this prayer. Look at verse 10. What's the first word of verse 10, church? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What's the first word of verse 10? Create, circle it in your Bible. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 1 when God created the heaven and the earth. Bara, literally, to create out of nothing. Look at the verse again. David says, Lord, I brought nothing good to you. There's nothing here for you to work with. I've got nothing to add to you. But, Lord, if out of nothing would you be willing to create in me a clean heart, O God. I love this. God doesn't just deal with the negative. He does the positive. <laughs> He doesn't just forgive your sin and make it so you can get by. No, praise God. He doesn't just give you eternal life. He makes a way so you can have life more abundantly. He gives you all the things that accompany salvation, all the things that pertain to life and godliness. Only the Creator can speak a word into your life and bring light and life. In Genesis 1, the Bible says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. How many of you think that sounds kind of depressing? Think about it. Chaos, emptiness, darkness. You know what it sounds like to me? The world we're living in today. And yet the very next verse says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light, and it was very good. Watch this. In a world of emptiness, God brings fullness. In a world of chaos, God brings order. In a world of darkness, God brings light. Only God can do that. And the same God who created the world is wonderful. The God who holds this planet in the palm of his hand has me in his hand. And the God who created out of nothing all of the beauty that we enjoy around us says, if you'll let me, I'll create in you a clean heart. I'll renew in you a right spirit. Do you know what revival is? Revival is new life. It's the awakening of life in a man. Your pastor put it in your bulletin today. It is a new beginning of obedience to God. Revival always begins with repentance We live in a world where everybody wants the product and nobody wants the process. Everybody wants the blessings, but nobody wants to get right with the blesser. I came today to say, if you want all God has for you, then you must begin with this prayer. You must say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. You're holy and I'm dirty. But I want to be clean. And I want to be made new. There's a beautiful expression here. Would you look at it, please? Look at Psalm 51. He says in verse 8, make me. <laughs> I marked that in my Bible. Did you know that's exactly what the prodigal son said when he came home? Make me. Not give me, make me. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. You know what sin does? It breaks you. Look, please. You know what sin does? It drains the life out of you. It sucks the life right out of you. That's why there's so many empty people even sitting in church pews. Do you know why? Because sin has sapped all of their strength and joy. You know what the Lord does? <laughs> Same thing He did for Adam. He breathed life in Adam. You know what the Lord does? He <laughs> He breathes life back into you. It's only one person whose bones were never broken. That was Jesus. Do you remember? Can I tell you that the God who sent his son and that son was crucified but not a bone of him was broken is the only one who can make your life whole and complete. Only Jesus can do that. And only when you pray the prayer, God will answer. I want you to take your hymn book out, everybody. Would you please, would you find a hymn book there next to you? And relax, I'm not going to sing, so that's something to rejoice in, all right? I want you to see something. It's one of my favorite hymns. It's found... In your book, it's number 464. Would you find it? I don't know if you're seeing this song here. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you don't. But to me, it is one of the truly great songs like Psalm 51. It is a song and a prayer. In the top left-hand corner, there's a name. Do you see the name? Everybody look at the name. Charles A. Tinley. Charles Tinley. Was the son of a slave woman. His father was a free man. His mother was a slave. So Charles Tenley had the choice. He could have been a free man all of his life, but instead, he stayed with his mother. He loved his mother. That was in God's gracious providence to him, for his mother knew Jesus. And his mother taught him of Christ. And as a boy, Charles Tenley got wonderfully saved. He went off to Philadelphia. To college. While he was there, he got a job at a local downtown church in Philadelphia, a big, beautiful city church. And all those city folks would come to church on Sunday, all dressed up in their beautiful, expensive clothes. And Charles, he swept the floors and kept everything clean, made a little bit of money for doing it. And nobody ever gave Charles much thought, frankly. They just kind of nodded at him, and nobody was real kind to him until Charles grew up and became the pastor of that church. That'd be nice to everybody, amen. And one day, Charles Tenley sat down in his study in that big, beautiful church, took out a pen and a piece of paper, and for the very first time wrote these words. They're powerful. Look at them. He wrote this Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Out of this world's delusive dream. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. There's nothing between. Nothing between like worldly pleasure, habits of life, though harmless they seem. Must not my heart from him ever sever? He is my all. There's nothing between. Nothing between like pride or station. Self or friends shall not intervene. Though it may cost me much tribulation, I am resolved. There's nothing between. Nothing between in many hard trials, though the whole world against me convene, watching with prayer and much self-denial, how triumph at last with nothing between. And I love the chorus. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Keep the way clear. Let nothing between. Would you look me in the face, please, every person, every man, every woman, every young person. I came today to say, get the way clear and keep the way clear. Let nothing between you and your God. Father, teach us to pray. Show us, Lord, the way back to God. May this day everything between us and the Lord be removed we sit quietly and very still for a moment God said be still and know that I'm God without any music or movement may I ask a question or two how many of you are a hundred percent sure if you died right where you sit right now without any question you know you've repented of your sin by faith. You've trusted Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. I'm not asking if you've been baptized or joined a church. Are you a good person? I'm not asking any of that. I'm asking how many of you know that you personally have put your faith in Christ as your Savior and he lives in your heart and you're certain if you die today you're going to heaven. You say, preacher, that's settled for me. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the with mind. Keep it up just a moment. And with your hand raised to heaven with no one looking but this preacher, with your hand raised to heaven, I want you to take a moment and thank God for that right now. Would you just thank him? Because if it wasn't for Jesus, there's no way you could raise your hand with confidence. Only Christ. Only Christ. You may lower your hands. Some of you couldn't raise your hand. And I want to thank you. I want to thank you for not lying to God. You know it's dangerous to lie to a God who already knows the answer. And I want to ask this simple question. Who among us today would say, Preacher, if I died in the next 60 seconds and stood face to face with God, I'm not sure that my sins have been forgiven, that Jesus is my Savior and heaven is where I'm going, but I know this for sure, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be separated from God forever because of my sin. Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. I'd like you to slip your hand up in the air with mine quickly, would you please? Thank you, I see you. God bless you and you. Thank you, I see you. Who else? Pray for me, preacher. You're talking to me. If you just raised your hand, or you didn't, but you should have, I'm going to ask you to lift your head and look at me. Nobody else in the room is looking but me and you. Would you just look this way? Thank you. I want to give you some good news, all right? It may sound like bad news, but it's not bad news. The bad news is we're sinners. The good news is Jesus loves you. You believe that. The Bible says, this book that I preached from today, says that God gave his son for you. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died. And praise God, here's the really good news. He didn't just die. He rose from the dead. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible says. He's alive. Thirty-eight years ago, somebody told me what I'm telling you right now. And that morning, I bowed my head, and I prayed a simple prayer. To be honest with you, I don't really remember the words I said. All I know is that day, I took God at his word. And I asked Jesus once and for all to be my personal Savior. I invited Christ to come live in me, and he answered that prayer. And so that's why I'm traveling around the country. I'm not here for my health today or needed somewhere to go. I'm here because I don't want a single person in this room to leave this room today without knowing Jesus is your Savior and heaven is your eternal home. I want you to have him as your friend like I do. And so I want to give you a verse today. Here's the verse. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the prayer God will answer. Whosoever's anybody. So I want to give you an opportunity today, sitting in this room right now, to call on Jesus and ask him to be your personal Savior. Would you do that? I'm not asking you to give a speech to this church. I'm asking you to make a prayer to God, a prayer that he will answer. Would you bow your head with me all around the room? Every person in this room that today would like to settle the matter of your soul's salvation, I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer you can make your own. You're not talking to me. I'm not your priest. Jesus is our great high priest. We go to God through Christ alone. I'm not asking you to make some promise to God. I'm asking you today to receive by faith the gift of eternal life that Jesus offers to you. Would you be willing to pray a simple prayer from your heart to God right now? God's listening. If you need to be saved and settled, would you pray this from your heart, please? Dear God, right now, quietly from your heart, dear God, I'm a sinner. Without Jesus, I cannot go to heaven. But I don't want to go to hell. I believe that Jesus died for me. I do believe he rose from the dead. Forgive my sin. Come into my heart and make me clean. I trust you now to be my Savior once and for all. And I receive your free gift of eternal life. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for saving me. Now help me to live for you from this day forward our heads are bowed our eyes are closed no one's looking but this preacher we'll give you a verse if you just prayed that prayer would you listen to this verse the bible says whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed if i gave you a million dollars this morning you wouldn't be embarrassed you'd be excited but if you just took jesus as your savior you just got something better than a million dollars you can never spend it up it's called eternal life and I think if you just receive Jesus, you won't be ashamed to tell me. So I'm going to ask right now. You raised your hand a moment ago and said you needed the Lord. I want to ask, how many people in this room would say, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer from my heart to God a moment ago with you, and I meant it. I'm not ashamed to tell you that right where I'm sitting this morning, I asked Jesus just now to be my Savior, and I meant that prayer to God. If you're not ashamed of that, I want you to raise your hand big and high in the earth mine. Keep it up just a moment. Well, big and high, would you please? God bless you. Every one of you that just raised your hand, I want you to look at me a second. Would you please? I want to commend you. Look at me. In every section, I see you. I'm happy for you. I want to congratulate you on the greatest decision you ever made in your life. Now I want to do something this morning to encourage you and to help you. And I'm going to give you my word. I know you don't know me, but I don't embarrass people. And I'm not going to make a spectacle of you. I want the pastor and his wife to come stand right here. And the assistant pastor and his wife come stand right here with their Bible. I'm going to ask many believers in a minute to come and pray. But each of you that prayed today and asked Jesus to be your Savior, I want somebody to have a prayer with you right here on the front row, and I want them to give you something to take home about knowing Jesus as your Savior. So I'm going to ask right now with nobody looking but me, every one of you that looked at me and said you trusted Jesus, I'm going to ask right now if you'll get up out of your seat and come take one of them by the hand and say, I'm trusting Jesus today as my Savior. God bless you. That's wonderful. Come and tell us. Sir, man, would you come tell us you came to Christ today, and our personal workers are here to help Men and women with a Bible in their hand, the love of God in their hearts, ready to pray and help. Wonderful. Who else? You say, today, I'm coming to receive Jesus as my Savior. God bless you, ladies. Wonderful. Come right over here. We'll have some ladies pray with you. Very good. We'll get each of them with a personal worker and let them have a seat here on the front row so we can talk and pray. Who else? You say, I'm coming today to Jesus, trusting Christ as my Savior. Wonderful. 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 And perhaps there are some other women who can help us pray. Some of you ladies could bring your Bible and come pray with a couple of these women. That would be great. Good. Amen. Wonderful. I want to make sure somebody to pray with each one of them to encourage them. That's very good. Very good. Who else? You say, I need to be saved. I need the Lord. Maybe you have questions and you want to talk to somebody and get some questions answered. Why don't you get up and come now while others are coming? It's never going to get any easier than this moment to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been saved and you've never obeyed the Lord in baptism and you want to do that. Come and tell us. Maybe you're not a member of this church and you want to be. Put your life in influence here. Why don't you come tell one of the pastors now? I want to talk to somebody about joining this church family. And we'll put no pressure on you. We just want to help you. This is wonderful. Praise God for it. Wonderful. Now our heads are bowed. We're praying with people and trying to encourage folks. I want to speak to every Christian in the room. Remember I said I was going to ask every person here to join me in one of two prayers? You remember that? Well, the first prayer was a prayer for salvation. That's the prayer we just prayed a moment ago, and I thank God for several who prayed that prayer with us this morning. Praise God for it. But now I'm speaking to every believer. Here's the second prayer. This is the beginning of our revival meeting, and I came this morning to ask how many Christians would make Psalm 51 your prayer. You may say, well, I'm not a terrible sinner. We're all sinners, friend. I came this morning to ask how many Christians would come clean with God. See, when you come clean with God, God makes you clean. How many Christians would confess your need to the Lord and take his cleansing and a new beginning this week and say, I'm going to let this revival meeting be a time of rededication in my own life to God. How many believers here today would say, preacher, that's what I want. As I read this and listen to this, this is what I want for my life as a Christian. I truly want a new beginning with God That's what I want. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand big and high in the air with mine? You'll say, that's me. If you mean it, would you stand to your feet right where you are? You'll say, I'm a Christian. I know and love the Lord. But this is what I want. This is what I need. It's thrilling. If you're standing, would you look at me? We're not going to have any music this morning, only prayer. Here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to begin a prayer. When I say amen, I'm not going to say amen because I'm not going to end the prayer. I'm just beginning it. When I pause my prayer, I'm going to ask how many believers, Christians in this room, would like to come join me in this altar. And let's begin today to make this our prayer. Lord, we don't want to just say we're saved. We want to live like it. Lord, we don't want to just say we got clean 30 years ago when we got saved. We want to be clean today. Lord, we don't want to just say we became a new Christian at some point. We want a new beginning now. And if you'll make that your prayer, I'm going to ask you to join me here. Father, thank you for those who've come to be saved today. Help them in their new life in Christ. But now help every believer in this room that wants to be clean, thoroughly, right with the Lord. to Take a step of faith and obedience. Help us now. And right now, quickly and quietly from all over the building, if if you truly desire that from your heart, don't come for me or somebody else. It's not between you and another. It's between you and God. You make your prayer to the Lord. Humble yourself before God. Say to him now, Lord, I need mercy. I need Jesus. You talk to him from your heart. He's listening. The God of heaven, think of this. The creator God of the universe is listening to you right now. That's powerful. Pour out your heart to God. Lay out your sin and yourself before the Lord. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Would you be specific right now? Lay aside any general generic prayer. Put away that plastic prayer we so often pray. And from your heart, call your sin by name. Get personal with God. He already knows, but He wants you to say it. Would you ask the Lord today to make this a new beginning in your Christian life? Aren't you glad he's the God of new beginnings? Lord, you said if we confess our sins, you would be faithful and just. You are faithful and just, Lord. Thank you for that. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, may we not only know that forgiveness, may we have thy cleansing today. Lord, make us clean now. We want to be clean Get all the junk out of our lives. Get all the sin out of your way so you can do in us what you want to do. Before we close the prayer, I ask you to quote it aloud with me earlier. I wonder, would you make it your prayer now? Would you pray these words to the Lord? They come straight from Psalm 51. Would you just simply pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And Lord, we believe you'll answer that prayer. And I pray today that men and women and young people will find their new beginning in thee. And we give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.